from the crypt. What is up, freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. It's your boy Marty Ben here on a Thursday night. A bit of an odd night to be recording for this podcast. Um, recording on Thursday night because we have a very special guest in town from Wyoming. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about tonight, so we're going to jump right into it. I'd like to introduce you all to Caitlin Long. Caitlin, welcome Howdy. to the podcast. Great to be here, Marty. Thank you. Thanks for coming through. I appreciate this it. This is awesome. I'm uh, excited about this talk. Uh, there's a number of topics to talk about. Um, your your career in pensions. I'm, we, we're going to dive into pensions. Great. Um, your recent uh, your recent articles and tweet storms and stuff about uh, the backed product in particular. Sure. If you're okay with that. And then... Um, we start out here, like what is it? We start out with uh, your tale. So how did you find Bitcoin? How did you get to Bitcoin? How'd you end up here basically? Wow. Uh, well, I, I, after the financial crisis got very curious because the mainstream explanation of what caused the financial crisis left me really wanting. And specifically it was the logical contradiction that uh, Tim Geithner, secretary of the treasury at the time had made on a Charlie Rose show where he said, he acknowledged that interest rates had been too low going into the, into the financial crisis. And just previously a few days, he'd ar argued that interest rates need to be lowered still. Mm -hmm. So that logical inconsistency got me diving into alternative schools of economics. Austrian School of Economics was the one that actually made the most sense to me once I um, dug into it, light bulbs started going off. And the, the gist is, in the Austrian community, it was pretty hard to avoid Bitcoin after mm -hmm. 2012. I was late by, <laughs> by, by Austrian school standards because I'm not a particularly strong technologist. Mm -hmm. and, and just was it just didn't make sense to me. Like so many people, they just when you first hear about Bitcoin, you, you, you scratch your head and think it's too good to be true and you don't waste your time and you move on. Yeah, and the, uh, the Austrian school... For a while there was sort of like the indie school they were the bad boys of economics i too yeah. studied economics in college and awesome so we both had to unlearn a lot of exactly what we learned. <laughs> i was gonna say i learned a lot of keynesian or was i indoctrinated with it i was trying, uh, trying yeah, <laughs> interesting question yeah, interesting question exactly. you certainly increasingly there are austrian professors around universities mm -hmm. but 10 years ago there were almost none they'd all been run out of the economics department for being and you know being contrarians and they fled to the internet found them on twitter it's yeah a, it's yeah it's true that's true or at at, at institutes mm -hmm. the, um like the mises, mises institute yeah. right but it was jeffrey tucker who sent me an email from laissez-faire books that was never published mm -hmm. that got me actually to get my first bitcoin wallet and he was he had been up at liberty forum in um new hampshire part mm -hmm. of the free state project and uh and he had he had a how-to guide and Jeffrey's also not a technologist, but he has a brilliant way with words. And that's what got me really started to get my first wallet set up and, and get going on it. And uh, it is it is interesting also, the Austrian, Austrian school, a lot of them still don't like Bitcoin uh, yeah. because it's not gold. And um, you know, there's a lot that's great about the Austrian school, but there's also a lot that I've been publicly pretty critical of as well. No, but I think there's a good, uh, a good um, how, how do I want to put this? There's Heated debate, but it's very good debate. And, yes, and, uh, sure. I would argue um, cordial debate. It's, it's very it's, yeah, it's intellectual. It it's not just it's right not versus personal. left. Or, 
Yes. Yeah. And actually, um, Safedine Amos's book, The Bitcoin Standard, is the one that I hope will bring a lot of Austrians around. Right. It's an incredible book. It is and amazing. I, it's uh, my my mentor in Austrian economics, who's uh, who used to be a portfolio manager. I met him in the late '90s, mm -hmm. uh, and he's the one who helped guide me along. Um, you know, ten years later during the financial crisis when I was figuring all this out. And uh, he, he said, this is the book I wish I'd written. And really? I think that's an amazing line because wow. a lot of us wish we had written. And incidentally for him, he was so skeptical of Bitcoin. I go back <laughs> to, I save a lot of the emails because he's such a brilliant teacher. And I went back and, and uh, from a few years ago where he was just on me about Bitcoin and he was very skeptical, but he turned. So it shows that even the biggest skeptics in, in the Austrian school, actually, once they really dig in, realize... There is something special about Bitcoin. It, there, there's a scarcity to Bitcoin mm -hmm. that, that is not there with gold. And as a result, uh, in, in many ways, this is, he, he calls it history's first honest ledger. Mm -hmm. And I think he's right. And, yeah. and, 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 and Savity Namus actually has an awesome footnote in the book where he said, actually, the Bitcoin blockchain may actually be the only objective set of facts in the world. Yeah, exactly. Think about that. <laughs> you're expending energy to prove something that happened at a certain point in time. And yeah. I've, uh, I've been uh, having conversations with people on the side. Like Bitcoin actually reminds me a lot of the tablets that were used for counting in Mesopotamia sure. like back in Sumerian times where people would just go to the center of town and they'd hash out. The, there was one ledger keeper who would keep the accounting yeah. and he'd keep the credits and debits. And that's where they would go. That centralized uh, courtyard or wherever it was in town yep. to, to pay their their debts or settle their debts and bitcoin does that just with the yep. with the technology that it has now. that certainly has in common with bitcoin easy and cheap verification mm -hmm. but you still had to trust the central exactly. ledger keeper yeah. there was great verification exactly. in that case but you still had to trust trust the, that the, person writing yeah. it down and what's different about bitcoin is that it actually is expensive to add fact to the bitcoin blockchain by design and that's what makes it that that's what makes it secure because you are if you are adding facts to the bitcoin blockchain i.e adding transactions you have to expend money it costs you money to add that information to the blockchain and it should yeah and uh hopefully that'll make people more uh more efficient over time and that's more frugal the idea. over time right? yeah that's the idea in fact one of the things i'm working on right now is a story about bitcoin mining mm -hmm. i've had an opportunity through the wyoming work to get to meet a lot of the bitcoin miners a lot of them were looking at deals in wyoming we love talking about mining and, and uh squashing mining fud here oh my gosh yeah <laughs> well there are there are a lot of people including some well-known people in the bitcoin industry who are um, overestimating the electricity use mm -hmm. and a lot of it has to do with the way the the large-scale miners are fabricating mm -hmm. uh, that they actually have there's some serious engineering that's going into they're not just buying the mining units no, you know, they're, for Bitmain they're they're working on the ones they get them you bet and yeah. they and and the the engineering behind the cooling um, and and how they're actually arranged relative to each other within the server farms yeah and then uh, on top of that like how how you even measure how much energy is being expended yes. and how expensive it is that's uh, that's even up in fluxes. A lot of these reports that like to fud Bitcoin's yeah. energy expenditure are citing uh, uh, energy expended per transaction. And actually, Laurent, I only know him as Laurent out of Paris. He's been writing a yes. series on how we should measure uh, the the amount of energy expended yep. via the Bitcoin blockchain. And there's a lot more variables that need to go into that calculation. And a lot of estimation that's exactly. not correct, exactly. unfortunately, which overestimates. Yeah. yeah, they were saying like 1% of the world's 
power. That's been the big buzzword. But if some people dove into it and were like, maybe 0.3%. Well, I, and I, I think he was the one who drew the analogy to Ireland. Um, but what I learned is a couple of interesting things. That in China, a lot of the electricity that's being consumed by the Bitcoin miners was actually going to be wasted because it was overbuilt hydro and there's no transmission capacity to mm -hmm. move it anywhere. So the Bitcoin mines could literally just move in and sop it up. Similar, similar in story in Sweden. Um, there's, there's excess energy that because of the EU rules can't be fed into the EU grid, but, but Sweden's part of the EU. So yes, this energy may be X in usage, but mm -hmm that X number would never have made it into the grid for other uses in the first place. Exactly. And we're seeing in West Texas, too, with the uh, miners going yep. to get the excess natural gas and methane. Um, yep. And uh, no, it's it's we uh, I do a weekly show at Matt O'Dell where we try to we try to defeat FUD and, and mining awesome uh, mining energy. Yeah. Uh, the boogeyman meme out there is one of them. Well, and, and, and at the end of the day, Safety and Amos's book doesn't, uh, doesn't dive into the FUD and some of these stories that we're talking about right now, but he makes a simple point, which is, of course it should be expensive to record a transaction in the ledger. Otherwise, you're going to get a lot of spam, spam yeah. and fake transactions. And you, you should be required in order to verify your transaction and your wealth to spend some money on that. And he's unapologetic, unabashedly unapologetic about that. And I agree with him. That's one of my favorite traits of Safe. He's yeah. uh, very unapologetic, yes. very in your face. And, um, and has a brilliant way with words. Yes, and I think particularly, let's talk about the Bitcoin Center a little bit here. I think particularly with that book, he did an incredible job of explaining monetary history and then yes. how Bitcoin sort of weaves into that history in this period of time. Because um, that's one thing people don't understand money to begin with, and yep. then the history of money. Uh, well, he and I had a great conversation about his book and and what's next, because I've challenged, even before I met him, out at a Mises Institute event in the spring um, in San Francisco, I challenged the Austrian school. I've been, frankly, challenging them for years and <laughs> been a big donor to the Mises Institute and trying to find academics who will actually dig into the Wall Street, the way, the way credit is created today. Because mm -hmm. the Austrian school is right directionally, but they've been wrong on a couple of things just simply because it's outdated. Yes. So the traditional banking system is not where most, most credit is created today. But most of us learn, you know, if you study mystery of banking, or even if you studied basic macroeconomics in mm -hmm. college, Keynesian macroeconomics, you're focused on M0 to M2. Mm -hmm. That used to be the way credit was created, and all credit was created in the banking system. But Today, most credit is actually created in what's called the shadow banking system, in other words, the securities markets. And the Austrian school has not updated that scholarship. So I'm trying to convince him to be the one who writes the mystery of shadow banking, <laughs> the sequel that updates the scholarship for all of this rehypothecation and other forms of fractional reserve banking that we wouldn't recognize if we just studied the traditional banking system. You need to understand how those credit creation mechanisms work in the shadow banking system. And it's ultimately, I think, one of the reasons why, unfortunately, a few Austrians predicted hyperinflation and dollar collapse after the financial crisis, and it didn't happen mm -hmm. because they missed Failing how the assets. credit creation was happening in the shadow banking system. Do you yeah. think that's uh, mainly a product of Graham Leach Bliley? Uh, uh, well... You think that? Yeah, that it actually goes gates? back further. Um, it goes back further. It actually goes back to the Volcker Fed. On my own mm -hmm. research, um, one of the things that happened back when nobody was really paying attention to the Fed 
was the, um, in 1983, there was a subtle change, and that was the Fed stopped trying to control the quantity of money and started to control the price of money. Mm -hmm. You can't control both. And up until 1983, they had been trying to target M2. And they, um, they, they, they started losing control. It was kind of, it was early in the Reagan administration when the Reagan deficits came and the Reagan administration figured out they could fund those deficits by issuing treasury bonds and the securities market started to take mm -hmm. off. That's when Louis, Louis Ranieri started to get yeah, into Yeah, he it. was a couple years later. I think he was 1985. Yeah. Yeah. But it was related. Um, mm -hmm. And that was all absolutely part of this whole, the rise of the shadow banking system, that the traditional banks lost their grip on credit creation and it started to, to leak into the securities markets. And then, to your point, we actually had um, Glass-Steagall coming down later in the late 1990s that, that allowed the banks and securities firms to merge back together. Um, so now it's all kind of one jumble. But that, that fateful error was 1983 when the Fed handed the keys to the kingdom proverbially to the financial industry and let them decide what the quantity of credit was. The Fed said, as long as the price of credit is X, i.e. the federal funds rate, mm -hmm. um, we don't care what the quantity is. And of course, the financial industry went to town and um, I'm writing a book as well, and I'll detail uh, just the incredible growth of what we Austrians would, would know as circulation credit, mm -hmm. um, which is essentially credit above and beyond real resources saved in the economy. And, and that's when you really see, it was 1983 when you really see the, um, the, 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 the amount of circulation credit starts to, start to boom. Yeah. No, it's been insane. Everybody's just reading about it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and, and we're, we're in another bubble. Some would argue the, that it's the granddaddy of them all because it's, the, it's a government finance bubble. We have now actually created such credit risk at the core. With the last financial crisis in 2008, the governments and the, and the central banks still had balance sheet capacity to bail out the system. Again, I think that's what the Austrians missed. And the Austrians, in a lot of cases, have been predicting a dollar collapse since the 70s. What they missed is that there was balance sheet capacity because our parents and grandparents and grandparents and grandparents um, respectively bequeathed us a balance sheet with no debt on it. Mm -hmm. And in 1968 is when we started as a country borrowing money um, above and beyond the amount that was saved by Americans. And that's when we switched over from what had previously been an equity financed economy to what is now a debt financed economy. And it went, it got turbocharged in 1983. So yeah. that's the history. 68 was the first time we really started borrowing mm -hmm. above our, you know, putting leverage on the balance sheet of the US in aggregate. 83 was when it turbocharged. Yeah, and it seems like, uh the crises created by this expansion are getting uh, more frequent and yep. more severe. The amplitude is increasing. As the yeah. uh, interest rate averages yeah. down towards zero. Well, and it's interesting. I tried, I started writing this book three different times and uh, <laughs> we'll see if I get it done this time. But um, each time it would have been a downer of a book. And frankly, nobody wants to, there are a lot of people who make their careers on fear mongering, but I'm a, I'm a generally an optimistic person. And I was pretty bummed when I figured all this out and thought, this is going to be awful. It's not, you know, there's going to be some sort of a transition away from the fiat-based currency system in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. And how do I prepare for this? And and then Bitcoin came along and it made me optimistic <laughs> because we have an option to tr to to opt out of this crazy system. It's pretty crazy how uh, how presciently timed it was too. Oh, amazing! And 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 uh, where did I see? It was August 2018. So we've just passed the 10th anniversary when Satoshi Nakamoto registered the domain name. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. 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 And then so the white paper, I think we're coming up on the 10th anniversary in about a month. Halloween, I believe. Is yes. that what it is? And then November the first, November 1st, UTC time. Uh, okay. Halloween. Uh, so we're coming up on it in a few weeks. And then, disgusting. and then the first Bitcoin mined was in January. January 3rd. Yep. So we January have, 3rd. we're coming up on a few 10th anniversaries, but we actually just surpassed the, the first one. I didn't see a lot written about that, but Satoshi he registered, registered that domain name in August, yeah. but, you know, right as, and, and actually in my book, I'm going to talk about some interesting things that were happening also in that period of time um, related to geopolitics and what's happening in the, uh, what, what was happening with the dollar. We've, a lot of what's gone on in the last 20 years has been geopolitical mm -hmm. with the dollar, which, which makes perfect sense because in history, most wars are fought over balance of payments imbalances. The one country defaults and, you know, then they go to war with each other, yeah. right? So we have gigantic balance of payments imbalances right mm -hmm. now in the world. And that's, you know, that's why we're fighting a trade war. That's a proxy for a shooting war right now. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but, but back in the financial crisis, there were some interesting shenanigans. And I'm, I'm going to put a lot of, of um, puzzle pieces together. That, that, that financial crisis was an attack by America's enemies on our financial system. And it is 100% America's fault. Was it because uh, the, because we allowed our financial system to become that vulnerable? Mm -hmm. It was an obvious attack vector. Did it yeah. have anything to do with uh, fossil fuels and the movement of no, them? No, no. It had it had, it had uh, it, 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 the Russia, Russia, Russia folks will be um, yelling and screaming oh. about this. I'm not going to break any news. I'm just going to put puzzle pieces together. It's all out there and publicly available. I've just never seen anybody string it together the way. The way that I strung it together, living it and looking for all these, you know, alternative answers, it was obvious to me that there was there was a coordinated attack on the United States, and I, I, a lot of people will naturally say, well, um, you know, we should fight against our enemies and go after them, but my response is the opposite, which is we made ourselves vulnerable, yeah. and unfortunately, guess what? We're even more vulnerable now because we're even more leveraged and more unstable. Exactly, I can't read through wait to read the book and I, yeah kind of like we are uh this is a product of our making at the mm -hmm. end of the day. it's a situation we've allowed ourselves to get in that's right and uh, it will be obvious in retrospect but like so many things even the housing crisis at the time it's like a frog boiling in water it, it absolutely no there were so many smart people yelling and screaming no there's not a global housing glut or global housing bubble it's never had that. We've never had a nationwide housing crisis. I distinctly remember a lot of smart people saying exactly that. We've never had a nationwide housing crisis. And then uh, actually, until a, we did, I had a tweet storm a few months ago. Now I actually have to follow up with it. I told people I was going to write another one the day after, but it was on Ben Bernanke and his comments leading yes, up sure. to uh, 2008. I believe it was March 2007. Okay. The S&P had corrected 5% uh, yep. because of the housing market. Yep. And at that point he said, uh, the total damage of a housing contagion right now would be like $50 billion yeah. and it turned into 10 trillion. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. Well, see, this is, this is what the, the central planners don't recognize is that to them, there's no cost to continuing to put debt on the economy. Mm -hmm. And, they claim that we owe it to ourselves. Well, guess what? Unfortunately, that's not really true. Not true, especially the marginal debt. It's not Americans buying the marginal debt. It's foreigners buying the marginal debt. And at, at the end of the day, the price is set by the marginal buyer. And if those buyers disappear, ouch. Yeah. Um, and I, I do worry about that. I th actually think that the, that the treasury market is the place is the most likely place for the accident to appear. Okay. Um, it, 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 probably the real crisis is, is going to start in Europe because the balance sheet in Europe mm -hmm. is a lot really bad. more tired than the balance sheet aggregate in the, in the U S we still have some balance sheet capacity left, which is why 
I'm not a dollar bear like so many of the Austrians. I think there are other parts of the world that are gonna, that are gonna get hit first and we could have the head fake to end all head fakes of a dollar short squeeze where the dollar spikes. And mm -hmm. it, that's kind of what happened in 2008. That could easily repeat again. And the dollar bears will be discredited uh, during yeah, that period. So there's going to be a flight to safety. It's that's right. To uh, quote unquote safety. Yeah, exactly. Right? That's the best. Uh, but it's not really it's safety. The, the yeah. most polished turd on a pile of shit. That, that's like exactly that. right. That's exactly <laughs> right. But as long as you own your own Bitcoin and your, 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 own, mm -hmm. your own cryptocurrencies, you'll be, you'll be okay. I yeah. think what's happening in Venezuela right now and Argentina and Iran with cryptocurrencies is proving out the model that they truly are safe havens yeah. in, uh, in times of currency stress. No, just anecdotally, I've heard uh, my wife coincidentally just works with a lot of Venezuelans in her line of work, uh, making commercials. And uh, I was talking to one of her coworkers who her family was back in Venezuela and the yeah. only way they could oh. get money for cancer, her father unfortunately had cancer, and the mm. only way they could get money back to them was with Bitcoin. And right. It is really helping people. But again, it does have a long way to go. Um, for sure. It's definitely not a panacea right now, but nope. it is just a tool they can use. Yeah. Um, which is great to see. And Absolutely. Um, all right. Let's pivot here to pensions. I really want to talk okay. about pensions for some reason. I don't know. I'm just like... It's part of the balance sheet equation of the United States. Exactly. That's for sure. So yeah. you worked on corporate pensions. Yes. Corporate pensions. Um, yeah. I'm fascinated with... with public pensions, but yep. let's first dive into corporate pensions, yep. your synopsis of the space, and then let's talk shit on Illinois and California. Okay. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. The, uh, the corporate pension world, um, in general, most corporate pensions are actually going to be paid. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not worried about defaults to the pensioners because the corporate pensions in the United States are very well funded. That's not true in countries like Germany and even the UK, mm -hmm. but America's pensions are pretty well funded. Um, that's not true also, though, of America's public sector pensions. Okay. And there's a huge distinction that's really important to understand between private sector pensions in the corporate world and public sector pensions in the government world in the US. And that is government pensions are inflation indexed, private sector pensions are not. Mm -hmm. And I did the math a long time ago, so it's very far outdated. But the gist is a dollar of pension obligation from a corporate pension compared to a dollar of inflation index pension obligation given the exact same demographics and the exact same math is worth $1.40 for the public sector pensions. In other words, that's okay. how valuable that inflation indexation option in the public sector pension plan is. It's worth another 40 cents in economic terms above the private sector. So that is why the public sector plans, more than anything, are underwater mm -hmm. um, and then of course they just haven't been funded so it doesn't matter what the asset performance is if you're not funded you can't possibly make up the deficit the corporate plans went through a big pension re regime change in 19 in 2006 and ever since then they've actually been pretty well funded there they, they report deficits but it's it's not enough that corporate america is going to be defaulting on mass there will be yeah. some defaults but in general the corporate pension sector is in pretty good shape and I would argue that corporations are more realistic about their pensions. Of course they are. Yeah. yeah. And the accounting, huge mm -hmm. difference also between the accounting. Mm -hmm. The When the pension proverbial shit hits the fan, the accountants and the actuarial firms are going to have a lot of liability. And I believe they will have, they do have culpability and they will probably be sued for it. Okay. Pension accounting is very different between the, the 
private sector accounting FASB standards and the government sector accounting GASB standards. Okay. The GASB standards allow the governments to use as their discount rate at which future cash flows are discounted back to the president, mm -hmm. to the present, they allow them to use their expected rate of return. So most government pension funds are using seven or 8% discount rates. Based well, off of economic projections? That's just, it's finger in the air. Um, <laughs> now there are some limitations. They just in the last two years, they, they, they ratcheted back on that, but they didn't ratchet back enough. Mm -hmm. By contrast, the private sector also has aggressive accounting um, they are required to use a high quality double A corporate bond yield. Okay. So you're kind of looking at three or 4% discount rates, right? But if you're just take the, the, the simple math, just to make it easy, if the public sector is using an 8% discount rate and the private sector is using a 4% discount rate, if the demographics are the same, that means the private sector liability is twice as high as the public sector's liability in accounting terms. And it is actually much closer to reality because they can actually go off and settle the pension. This is what I did at Morgan Stanley, helped companies settle their pension obligations by buying annuities in the private okay. market from, uh, from insurance companies that are high quality, overfunded, de-risked from an asset liability standpoint, very low credit risk in the asset portfolio. Um, much safer than, mm -hmm. than in the corporate pension world. So double A corporate bond is not quite economic cost, but it's pretty darn co close. What's happening in the pu public sector is so far off. It's a joke, <laughs> right? Yeah. Let's, and get, it, let's get into it. Uh, yeah. So I was saying, you said you don't remember the chapter. Maybe it's the Man Mandela effect with me, but I vividly remember it was either boomerang or one of Michael Lewis's books where he's riding around with Arnold Schwarzenegger talking about Calpers and how terribly funded it is. And it yeah. is, uh, I don't remember the chapter, but it is yeah, terribly and, underfunded. Yeah. Um, so, Let's just pretend like the freaks out there have no idea what's going on with public pensions. They have no idea how they're structured or how they plan to be paid out. Um, I know this is probably a big task, an onerous task to ask you to do right now. But um, if we're going to like do it and explain it like I'm five right now for the situation they're in, uh, can we do that? Uh, sure. That Explaining it like you're five is the government has promised wages in the future to its mm -hmm. workers that it can't possibly pay. Yeah. And, and so these are firemen, policemen, pensions yep. where, and this is a, actually in Jersey, I know, uh, so we'll get an anecdote here. So Jersey, I believe a decade ago at this point, probably a little bit more, uh, the teachers, uh, the, they, the state cut the teacher's pension and that was like a huge deal. Um, yeah. so a lot of these people are working. Um, some people only work till 50, 55 and, uh, then they get hundreds of thousand dollars salary in perpetuity until and ever yeah. pass. Yeah. Um, so it's just not and sustainable. And it's inflation indexed, keep Is in it? mind. Okay. Yes. Public sector pensions are almost always inflation mm -hmm. indexed. So they're compounding at 3% a year. Yeah. And so what you see, or at least what I've observed, is a lot of these pensions are restructuring. The anecdote I was about to go into is Jersey teacher's pension about a decade ago. And if you're over a certain age or a certain tenure, you got grandfathered in and everybody else got, yes. got cut That's off. standard for pension yeah. reforms. Yeah. yeah. And so you never really, you can never really trust what you're signing up for. Especially right. With these public pensions. I, I, my advice to people my age, I'm 49, um, is don't count on those pensions. I have a good friend whose husband is a teacher and she was talking about, you know, she, he's got the safe retirement and she's in the private sector. And I said to her, I hate to break it to you, but I don't think at, at our age that he's got a safe retirement. I don't mm -hmm. think you can, you can count on those 
on those pension promises to be there. What's going to happen is there are going to be soft defaults first, where they're going to raise the retirement age, like like you talked about, mm-hmm. um, and they'll they'll try to grandfather in everybody. But you know, in Illinois and Detroit, places like that, it was too far. It's too far gone um, to to do the grandfathering. So you actually go in and you're cutting benefits, mm-hmm. and they'll try to keep the benefits higher for the older workers that can't possibly go back and make it up and you know people age 50 and below 50 is not a magic cutoff but you know give or take um they're they're the ones that are going to have to work longer Mm -hmm. and to try to make up for the fact that promises were made to the past generation that our current generation can't possibly pay no and that was a actually crazy stat that i came across when i was writing that uh tweet storm on the fed uh is that since the crisis and after mm-hmm. QE and all that, if you look at participation numbers, uh, the participation rate of 55 to 65 year olds in, this, in the country has gone, consider- yeah. gone up considerably. Yeah, everybody's got to work more. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and that's the thing that really irks me about the Fed in particular is what they deem as uh, uh, successful policy. And to <laughs> them, unemployment's what, at 4.1 right now? Or not? Oh, it's it's three point, it's three point it's something. Yeah, yeah, it's very low right now. Yeah. Yeah. Economy's GDP was right, but we're at missing sixteen point eight million workers. I was just reading today from the labor force. Exactly. So yeah. that's the thing that what what we deem as successful, quote unquote. Right. Uh, it's really like a it's like Orwellian speak almost. It I is. Would say. Well, they're they're setting the definition and they're patting themselves on the back because that's what they're managing to. Yeah. But the, you know that's part of the reason why there's so much populism in the world is because everybody out there unless you're a Keynesian economist, understands there's something wrong. Yeah. There's something rigged in the system. It's pretty clear. If you look, it's, it's hiding in plain sight, but you've got to have the willingness to be curious and set aside your pre-existing biases mm-hmm. in order to see it. No, I feel like... I feel like everybody's got that intuition deep down. I Absolutely. And I've talked about this in the past in this podcast. Like I probably got to this point where I am now because of where like oppression time, like being a senior in high school in 2008, taking an economics class. Like yeah. lucky. It was like the serendipity that happened at that time, at least yeah. to send me down this path and the question sure. early, but it takes time for people to come to this realization. And, yeah. but I think everybody intuitively knows something's, something's up. Right, especially the millennials who are really getting screwed. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're like, never. I don't gonna even see, like a pension. Uh, your your social even. security money. I just look at it as a, as extra taxes. Yeah. I'm oh, never yeah. going to see that money. Ever. Yeah. There was a, there was an estimate that social security is going to go bankrupt by like 2025. Well, 2026. so this is interesting. This brings us back to the to the treasury market. Yeah. One of the mechanisms, you know, I I, I think that's that's where the the, the accident's going to happen, so to speak. We're going to have a failed treasury auction at some point in the U.S. And one of the mechanisms is exactly what you're talking to. Social security and Medicare um, are actually having to raise money. So this notion that our social security money went into a quote unquote lockbox is, is a load of bull because what happened is the U.S. Treasury borrowed against the cash that we all pay into that quote-unquote lockbox and issued IOUs. Well, in order to pay the cash out to Social Security and Medicare, they actually have to issue treasuries in the capital markets, i.e. borrow from Japan and China and you know the Middle East mm-hmm. in order to finance the payments going to pay today's Medicare and Social Security recipients. Social Security has been in and out of negative cash flow on a monthly basis. It flips back and forth, you know, for the for the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. But it increasingly it turns like perpetually negative in the next couple of years. And, you know, at some point, 
we're not going to be able to, to finance that by issuing new treasury bonds to the rest of the world. Yeah, could, the, uh, the music can only play for so long. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I just have a theory just like from optics looking at the charts, especially the Fed fund rate, like it's fallen from like nine to six and yep. then like six to three and then like three to 25 bips. And now it's going back up to like one and a half, 1.7 right now. It's going and down like, again, in, in uh, my opinion. I think once it hits NERP, if they ever, yeah. it's, I mean. Oh, they will. The Keynesians will. They're in, they're in control. But I think once that happens, like what we're seeing in Turkey now, like uh, a lot of people say like hyperinflation will lead or hyperinflation is caused by money pr printing in particular. Um, but it's also like a loss of confidence in the of system. Of course, it's and, a confidence game. Yeah. And I think if NERP is ever implemented, the confidence will be completely lost. Yeah. At least, uh, actually, I don't know. Or do you think people are educated enough to be... Well, to you know, lose their confidence at that point. It's inter interesting. I worked in Switzerland in 2001, 2002, and Switzerland has had negative interest rates for, for more than a decade mm -hmm. now. Uh, and um, it, it, the banks have not paid negative interest rates on retail deposits yet. So that's when the rubber really does meet the road is when the banks pay negative interest rates on retail deposits. What's happened is everybody the banks have tried to make it difficult for you to deposit money mm -hmm. because they don't want to hold it because you know cash becomes a hot potato because for them it's it, it they have negative float um and and it's because they don't pay negative interest rates um but i think the dam is going to break and i've said this before when you start to see corporations issuing bonds at negative interest rates okay. and that's gonna it, it, we actually have already seen some of the high rated uh, highly rated Swiss companies issue short-term bonds at negative interest rates. I was, um, that's crazy. It's crazy. It's I know. Think point. about it. It's a mind bender, right? And it wouldn't exist in a free market because you would of course never ever pay somebody else to borrow from you. No, no. But it's, um, it, it's, it's a function of, of this crazy financial system that we're in. And it, interest rates inherently are always positive because time value is always positive. Mm -hmm. You can't turn back time. Uh, you yeah. absolutely. And so the fact that we even are talking about negative interest rates is pretty uh, ridiculous. It, it, well, it's a, it's, it's a construct of today's artificial system. Now, how have they kept it going in Switzerland? It's a pretty small country. And, um, most of the Swiss banks are dealing in currencies other than Swiss francs, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, it's, um, it's, it, it, it tells you that they can keep this going longer than we all think they can. It's true. But what I was trying to pull up, couldn't find it. Yeah. But there was a bank in Germany, uh, Hamburg, uh, Cassie or something. Okay. They just instituted negative interest rate policy on depositors with over 200,000 euro yeah. in accounts. Some of the so, large banks, I think, have yeah. effectively made it through fees. Mm -hmm. I don't think they're, in, they're doing negative interest rates. That's the first one I've heard of. Yeah. Um, it's possible I'm wrong, but, but, uh, but they're doing it through fees. They're effectively making it very difficult for depositors to deposit money. They just don't want it. Yeah. yeah. So how do you see a world as hyper-leveraged and... Uh, chaotic as it is behind the scenes right now transitioning to something like Bitcoin? Uh, I suspect that it's not going to be an easy transition. In other words, you know, we're going to have an accident in the financial system. Mm -hmm. And of course, most people will say it was unpredictable. You and I and the folks listening to your podcast will know it was entirely predictable. But, um, uh, but it's interesting when when Safe and I were talking uh, about um, doing some some work together a couple of weeks ago. We had this exact conversation, and he's more optimistic. You know, um, 
the British Empire fell relatively peacefully. In other words, the pound sterling was no longer the world's reserve currency and it transitioned over to the dollar. Mm -hmm. Um, Basically, the rest of the world is starting to align against the U.S. because we've weaponized our financial system and made it so difficult for for the for them to get dollars and it's 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 basically the 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 biggest way aside from the military that the u.s projects power right now and, right. and that's a, that's caused a lot of people to resent us yeah it's the petrodollar so, so what you're seeing with uh china and russia doing the yep. the uh oil futures based in yuan and rubel right it's uh, this is all part of moving away from the dollar yeah, yeah. it's slowly but surely and they're all buying yeah. gold too which is uh interesting they are they are they are Back and there was Russia had a had a currency crisis in was it 2015 2016 I wrote about this on my on my blog I did the Trans Siberian Express um, which was so much fun when after I left Morgan Stanley because they lock you up you can't talk to anybody so it was a time mm-hmm. when I could just take three weeks and be out of communication with everyone and it was awesome and I wrote a travel log after that and I went back and talked about. Um, the fact that Russia is historically it's been on a very different cycle than the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. It's it's just in its own cycle, and and um, so many times when the West was booming, it was in a depression, and when the West has been in depression or recession, it's been booming, mm-hmm. and um, and we and I talked about how the IMF was encouraging Russia to sell its gold to defend its currency back in I think it was 2015, and you know what they did. They bought no more, more gold, <laughs> and Godspeed to them. They get what's going on. They, <laughs> it might they be understand a good decision this. if you do. Yeah, if you read true. into the uh, the history of European and Latin American financial crises, in particular, the yeah. IMF has always made the situation a shit worse. ton worse. They yeah. just go in, lever the lump. Well, like and the U.S. Equ- gets blamed. Like the for private it. equity of ge- yeah. the geopolitical world. Yeah. Well, the IMF is one of those. You know, the World Bank and the IMF are t- are two organizations that came out of World War II that allow the U.S. to project its power globally. And it's part of what keeps, you know, a lot of companies de facto satellite states. And what I mean by that is not derogatory. I mean, they effectively are keeping their um, currencies pegged to the dollar. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's, uh, but again, you can never time it though. Like I remember when I was an analyst, I was an analyst at a hedge fund. I Uh I was like, fresh out of college like this is gonna end this year like this is gonna be terrible but no you never know no and and uh i think this can go on quite a quite a bit longer than most people think but that said i wouldn't be shocked if it ends tomorrow because when you look at how unstable the the situation is it's pretty obvious again in retrospect it will be very obvious yes. why it happened to people who know where to look the the uh, one of the things that i did um was was take a trip to a couple of years ago to Paris to try to dig into, and I hired a historian to walk me around, um, to try to dig into the French Revolution versus mm-hmm. the American Revolution. Because Thomas Paine was involved in both of them and an instigator of both, right? Mm-hmm. And, and try to understand why did the French Revolution go socialist after, afterwards and the American Revolution went individualist. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, different... Of course, they had different reasons for for building up, um, but it's uh, it's an interesting question. What will happen to the world? Who wins the hearts and minds? Who wins the narrative? If we do have a big accident in the financial crisis in the financial system, and suddenly there's a big you know depression that comes out of that, who gets the blame for that? It's an interesting. We don't know. We can't answer this question, but I do think it matters. 
that uh no i do as well i was just like daydreaming there like maybe why did when you said why did uh france go socialist and the u.s go individualist maybe like america went individualist because like this is weird to say because native americans were there first but it felt like a clean canvas to everybody like hey we can start something new here and let's just run with it well it was a clean canvas but if you look at what they what they did the the colonists actually set up a lot of their existing system in america <laughs> because that's what they knew that's right what they knew. yeah yeah so you know there was they, they definitely made some brilliant changes and patrick Byrne, when i talk about um criticisms of what's happened in america he always reminds me you are so fortunate to have been born under that constitution because <laughs> most people in the world were not and they're suffering as a result and it's the best one short of every, everything else well that's uh that's interesting you bring that up the constitution in particular because there's conversations going on this month in general about uh, pseudonymous, uh, like being anonymous on Twitter and fighting yes. for this Bitcoin revolution or whatever. And yeah. uh, the Federalist Papers were written by anonymous, anonymous. Founding, yeah. founding fathers. Absolutely. It's funny to see how that's because like because they were afraid now. to reveal their identities. Satoshi, yeah. Satoshi was Satoshi, anonymous. Maybe yeah. this is the next big revolution. And I hope so, but you yeah. know we've gone the opposite direction in the financial system. This is one of the things that disappoints me about Trump. I'm not a tr- Trump supporter, but he's done some things that are very good on deregulation. Mm-hmm. He, I wish he would deregulate the banking system, privacy issues, okay. and in fact, he's actually gone the opposite direction. KYC, AML. Well, yeah. now you actually have to not only identify you, you have you don't have, you all, you have to know your customer. You have to know your customer's customer. In other words, you have to know that the it's the travel chain? rule. Yes. That's, those are new regulations that have just come into effect. That's ridiculous. Absolutely. So it makes it even harder for cryptocurrencies, right? Because you have to know not your just not just your customer, but their customer as well. They have you, you have to. It's the travel rule, um, and then and 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 other um, rules related to that um, that 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 get at why it's so difficult for banks to bank this industry and they most of them it's not illegal of course unlike the marijuana industry people have asked about some things we're doing in wyoming could that be helpful for the marijuana industry marijuana is not legal yet in mm-hmm. in um, wyoming or decriminalized is a prob- probably a better word for it um, um and it's obviously not decriminalized at the federal level either mm-hmm. so i think it's going to be tough for any bank to touch that industry for that reason yeah. it's got to be decriminalized both federally and state for a bank for a bank to touch them but the cryptocurrency industry we're not illegal at a federal level so why why are the banks so averse to banking us it's because the compliance to, um requirements just got ratcheted up i just got a haircut yesterday and i'll give you a story um, and actually candidly I, I i think the bank secrecy act is, is is really discriminatory against women and i'll tell you why okay because my hairdresser has always had her maiden name on her bank account and she went to deposit a check for 30 years she's banked at this same bank and because of these new re- requirements they they rejected her deposit. Oh my god! Because she changed her name when she got married. This is why I actually think the Bank Secrecy Act creates more problems for women because women tend tend to change their names. Of course, not always, mm-hmm. um, and and less so today. But she's in her I don't know sixties maybe, and and for thirty years she's been banking with the same bank, and now they told her she has to close her account because her name doesn't match her legal name. This is the kind of stuff that it's just like come on, right? It's probably like a local bank too. Right? It is. Yeah, yeah it's a local so. bank. Yep. Yeah. And, and, and uh, so, so what's happening in the crypto industry is, is a, is a symptom of an underlying problem, which is the Bank Secrecy Act. I actually so, 
think that that's unconstitutional and we're going to challenge that. And it's probably going to be in the crypto industry where that challenge comes from. Boss, I love to hear that. So let's jump into the banking problems in Wyoming with cryptocurrency companies in particular. Just lay the land. I don't know if everybody out there completely understands what's going on because Wyoming has been one of those states where it's been pretty, they've been pretty ardently steadfast and sort of stifling cryptocurrency in general. Well, historically, we, Wyoming was one of three states that had a really bad money transmitter act, and it essentially required 100% reserve for everybody doing business in Wyoming, a cash reserve on top of the value of the Bitcoin. And so Coinbase and BitPay and Circle pulled out in 2015. Um, I tried Cash to, reserve on top of the yes. Bitcoin? Yeah, made it on Even if you had access to an exchange, you'd yes. liquidate? Yes. So, but there are three states, actually Minnesota and Hawaii still have that law, to my knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, Wyoming, we got it changed. But when we decided to get it changed, uh, actually just, it's kind of a fun story. I tried, I grew up there and my dad was a professor at the University of Wyoming for 40 years. I saw how hard it is to find women engineers. And I thought, well, why don't I just try to spread the wealth with some appreciated Bitcoin and endow an, um, a scholarship for women engineers. I thought I was going to do it really quietly. It checked a lot of my boxes. Mm-hmm. And then I ran smack dab into this Wyoming law where the University of Wyoming couldn't take my Bitcoin. And so I said, okay, guys, I'd been on the foundation board there. I said, let's go change the law. And not only did we do that, but we actually reached farther. That, and, and Wyoming is such a cool place. Hell be- yeah. Because it, um, just to give you an example, we just had a hackathon out there. And the, there's a big poster right outside the field house where the hackathon was that said, bucking the system since 1886. <laughs> and that's Wyoming for you. It's a pretty libertarian, small L libertarian place. They don't mind fighting the feds. And... Um, yeah, um, it's it, we 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 touched into into that zeitgeist in mm-hmm. in passing these bills, um, and 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 Wyoming really truly wants to attract the blockchain industry, and we've made it as friendly as possible to do so. And mining's somewhat economical in Wyoming, isn't it? Yeah, in Wyoming doesn't places? have a lot of hydropower, okay. so um, only I've, on the western I've, side of the state. I have heard of. A- mining operations in Wyoming. There are. Yeah. yeah, but not the not the really large scale ones. No. The really large scale ones are Washington State. It, yeah, well they're getting well they're they're global, the really large scale mm-hmm. miners, but they're getting sub 4 cent a kilowatt hour power cost and most of the power in Wyoming is about 5 cents. Okay. So right now it's uneconomical for the really big guys to come in. There definitely mm-hmm. are some that that are and with Bitcoin where it is right now it's still profitable at 5 cents, but but the, if the big guys are global and they can sop up, you know, un, unused power capacity in China or Sweden that would otherwise just get wasted and they're paying, I don't know, two and a half cents for it, they're going to yeah. sop up all of that power before they come and pay five cent power in Wyoming. So. Exactly. No, that's the consensus I've been hearing around the uh, the mining industry in particular is that in the next few years, if you're not at two and a half to three and a half cents a kilowatt hour, it's going to be tough to mine profitably. I think that's right. But yeah. as this industry grows, I think there will be over time demand for five cent the kilowatt hour. And given that Wyoming has such amazing tax incentives and it's a cool climate. Mm-hmm. So those that are not liquid cooling their their uh, their mm-hmm. boards, um, you know, would, would have lower cooling costs. It's fascinating to look at the engineering that the different miners have used for different climates. Uh, it's crazy. Yeah. It's, uh, no, and it's uh, all of the incentives of the Bitcoin network just driving efficiencies not even yes. only in the monetary policy and the way the code's written but the way the hardware is set up to absolutely mine it. and, and it's a big deal it's making people creative like how to vary right and that's yeah. uh that's, and that's what these crazy estimates of power usage are missing right yeah so, so what do you what do you think the number one thing they're missing is in particular 
they're assuming like coal's being used or yeah it's the power cost yeah just yeah. just how cheap that power is yeah and they're the fallacy that they're making is that that power that is so cheap would ultimately be useful that's what i learned that you know as we talked earlier that that hydro capacity in china that is just being wasted because there's no transmission to transmit it out of that geographic zone you can bring miners and bring miners in and they can they can turn something that would otherwise be wasted into something okay. economical yeah a value yeah mm -hmm. same thing with sweden it can't by eu rules send its excess hydro power back into the eu grid why is that an eu rules it's, well welcome to the eu <laughs> and there's a lot about the eu that doesn't make sense yeah it's protecting the power companies in the other in the other zones yeah going back to boomerang the uh, the stories of how Greece and Italy got accepted into the the EU or yeah are are, are fascinating because a lot of fraud a lot of fraud they yeah. cook, cook the books to yeah. to manipulate their debt to GDP ratio that's it's, right it's very well documented that's oh yeah everyone knows it yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. and it's uh it's, it's funny we just take it you know people just accept it yeah it's, uh, but I think that is changing yeah for um, sure let's jump into Let's jump into Bact products. So Bact is coming out with, mm -hmm. um, I'm blanking here. What is their product? Their product is just, they're simply. It's a Bitcoin, physical Bitcoin futures contract. Okay. And then they've got the deal with Starbucks as well. Mm -hmm. yes. So you are sounding the alarms of uh, basically the problems that are emagulating in our traditional financial system might be leaking into Bitcoin uh, via rehypothecation. Yep. Uh, uh, based off of these contracts. So yes. how do you see this playing out? Well, and to be clear, I, I'm not critical of BACT itself. Mm -hmm. I'm critical of, of the, the product. The type of, of product. Of, yeah, Wall Street coming for physical Bitcoin products. Mm -hmm. Citigroup just this week announced that it's going to be putting a depository receipt program together for Bitcoin that's going to be going through the Depository Trust Corporation. That makes me laugh because <laughs> we all know what the problems with the Depository Trust Corporation are, right? A lot of us have been talking about them for years. And I don't now know. What is it? The, the, the Depository Trust Corporation? Yeah, what it's is effectively it? the Federal Reserve, but for securities. It's okay. the central securities depository. It's a central clearing institution. Mm -hmm. um, and, and stepping back, 99.9999% of the securities outstanding in the United States are legally owned by the Depository Trust Corporation. Really? And what we own in our brokerage account is an IOU through them that actually goes through two different layers at, uh, at minimum. So... There's you at the bottom. There's your broker dealer who owes you your share of Apple stock. Mm -hmm. There's their custodian who owes your broker dealer mm -hmm. your share of Apple stock. And then at the top is the depository trust corporation who owes the custodian your share of Apple stock, who then owes it to your broker dealer. And then there's you at the bottom. We all think that we own sh securities in our in our brokerage accounts. We don't. Okay. We own IOUs. It's the same thing as in your bank account. You got the Fed at the top and then a correspondent bank and then your bank and then you, right? You got layers of intermediaries. Mm -hmm. And um, if, if, if anybody's listening out there who's an attorney, you know that you have no contractual privity anywhere up the chain except for the, the institution with whom you have a direct relationship. So the only one you can sue if anything goes wrong is your bank or your broker. Broker, yeah. yeah. Right. And you can't, if the DTC screws up, you can't, you can't sue them. You can't go all the way to Right. So, um, and the DTC did screw up royalty in, royally in the, um, in the exhibit A for rehypothecation problems in the, in the securities market, which is the Dole Food case. Okay. Where there were 33% more valid claims to Dole Food shares than there were Dole Food shares. Yes. 
it's uh it's funny how that can happen it's right but i've seen i've experienced it and 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 it was during my pension business that i uncovered just how a lot of this happens because we were trying to transfer assets from the pension fund over to the insurance company you actually have to have all the assets in the account in order to be able to do that and we actually had to transfer it same day otherwise the annuity contract would not have been valid mm -hmm. so if any assets were straggling and didn't make it over through the plumbing of the system from party a to party b the whole thing would have would have been invalid right so ha we had to get it done on one day intraday in the gm tra um, pension transaction we moved 26 billion dollars worth of assets in one day um and Whoa. yeah it was big um and trust me we spent we spent months figuring out how to do that and make sure that no balls dropped so that the the um you know the pensioners were protected um but what i discovered in one of my pension deals it was not the gm deal was that there was unauthorized securities lending happening that would not have been discoverable by the brokerage statements because the custodian didn't have to report it to the to the pension fund so, so you all individuals out there right now think your brokerage statements are accurate they're not inaccurate but you don't know what's going on behind the scenes you don't know how many times the right to that certain securities Bingo. are given are given right yes. and there's nobody auditing that there's nobody <laughs> auditing that this is how the dole food situations happen you don't until there's some sort of what i call a reckoning event like mm -hmm. a merger where you're actually going to um retire the shares that's when you figure out how how big what patrick byrne calls he was using citing a john kenneth Gal galbraith phrase the bezel okay the bezel in the financial markets is how many people claim they own the same assets mm -hmm. when there's really only one asset it's fractional reserve banking and and, yeah yeah it's the same thing and and in, in the dole food case it was one third so do you think we can solve this problem with bitcoin like with these products do you think so i think with these products in particular i think people should start being more vocal like hey these products are going to be uh hitting the market and it, especially if you're claiming that they're bitcoin backed like yeah throw up some public addresses prove that you're bingo to, to that would be awesome extent. yeah right? i think it was nick batia proposed that that mm -hmm. if we're gonna have physical backed etfs then show us the public keys yeah. let us track it yeah, exactly. let, give us verifiable and net asset value let us let us track it and i hope they do um, um, it's funny, just today I tweeted out a picture from the CFTC conference room and somebody was like, well, why were you at the CFTC? Well, it wasn't, I, I said, don't read anything into that because the regulators have ongoing conversations with Bitcoin and blockchain people all the time. Mm -hmm. I've done, I've been, been there many times. Um, but yeah, they're asking about all this because they need to learn. And, I, and they, you know, I, they, one, of, one of the things that Chris John Carlo, who's one of the industry heroes, uh, mm -hmm. he's like one of the good regulators, right? I forget Fit, the nickname. Bitcoin sign Bitcoin. guy would say he's, uh, he's fifth pillar. He's, uh, he's an insider trying to help Bitcoin out. Yeah, but by, the, but by the way, that's not new. He's been saying this for years because he's very critical of rehypothecation. Mm -hmm. that, that, and, and I hope in his position as chairman of the CFTC that he's try, doing everything he can to bring that rehypothecation down it's insidious and what i mean by that is you can't tell that this is happening like this example that i just talked about in, in the pension fund where unauthorized securities lending was happening there would have been no way for the pension fund to figure it out because the brokerage statements didn't show it it was happening behind the brokerage statements in an unaudited part of the system yeah exactly there's no mutual ledger where you have to cancel that out exactly so yeah. he looks at blockchain and says this is the way we're finally going to be able to solve that problem yeah he's right but here's the irony with all of the products like backed and the Vanek physical, physical ETF and the Citigroup depository receipt, they're all dealing in physical Bitcoin. 
in they're trying to fit that square peg into the round hole mm -hmm. we're actually in some ways going backwards because we're actually fitting bitcoin into the crappy existing clearing and settlement system as opposed to taking bitcoin's awesome just clearing and settlement system and fixing wall street building yeah. on top of it yeah that makes yeah. a lot of sense yeah and do you think we could uh, de-alienate between types of Bitcoin futures products right now? So like uh, Morgan Stanley came out today and they yep. announced a synthetic price return swap. So that's different than what these... That's a cash-based... Yeah. yeah. It's a yeah. synthetic, so it's a cash-based cash -based swap. Dealing in cash, you know, some people argued with me on Twitter that that actually swings the price around more. Mm -hmm. And I must say the people who, who came out and said, go back and look at when the CME and CBOE Bitcoin futures contracts were announced that corresponded with the top in Bitcoin. Yeah, the all-time high. Yeah. Um, so, it, look, I, derivatives in general do suppress the price of the underlying. But I'm less worried about the cash derivatives than mm -hmm. I am about the physical. Okay. Because that's the way to... Basically, Wall Street can create paper versions of Bitcoin, paper claims, that people will accept as if they were the real thing, thinking they own the real thing, mm -hmm. but they are not. And if they let leverage into the system, that's how this rehypothecation yeah. works, that, that's where you end up with one third more valid claims to Bitcoin mm -hmm. than there are real Bitcoins. And that's, that negates the, the, the scarcity problem. And I will say some very smart people who I respect tremendously have that sort of Keynesian view of the world that that's not a bad thing. And one, um, one in particular said, we need to quote unquote, solve Bitcoin's scarcity problem. <laughs> he views it as a problem, right? And a lot actually, of people think we need to embed inflation into it. I don't think. Right. And that his point is we need to embed inflation. That's exactly his point. And that we're not going to get liquidity in Bitcoin until we create, until we inflate it. I think that's uh, a product of some, uh, it could be analogous to Stockholm syndrome where, you, where you've been well, born into the system and you think it needs to operate in a certain way. Yeah. I think everything going forward needs to operate that way. That, that's exactly right. And, and, and in the short term, he's right. That would create more liquidity. Mm -hmm. But the problem exactly. is... Exactly. When the music stops, it's a crush. There's no lender of last resort in Bitcoin. Well, and holy cow, you better own your private keys exactly. if, if that ever hits, hits the wall. Well, that's the point. I think maybe... If Wall Street tries to mess around and fuck around with this a little yep. bit, and, and they, they will, they'll learn a quick lesson, and then I hope like, so. Will, yeah, people will demand well, like we need public keys, we need this to prove that you're reserved to a yeah. certain extent at least. And it's funny, I mentioned my mentor earlier in the interview. He disagrees with me that that I should raise the flag and let people on Wall Street realize that they don't know what they're dealing with, and this is mm -hmm. very different than a traditional asset, and the risks are much greater, and there's probably a an accident coming mm -hmm. he disagrees he, his attitude is let them fail yeah they are going to fail because bitcoin mm -hmm. is not they can't really affect bitcoin they can suppress the price and i think they have but they're not really going to affect bitcoin over time and all they're going to do to trace's point to trace mayor's point is basically just suppress the price so the rest of us can buy the real thing <laughs> yeah exactly che cheaper and um those that are not educated enough and they're buying the substitutes um you know, good luck. As, as Jim Grant is somebody who I respect tremendously, and he had a um, a, a financial um, crisis redux over the weekend and talked about one of the lines he had was e about ETFs, mm -hmm. and and he said none of us know what's going to happen when everybody when there's a rush for the door. Yeah. I think some of us do. Um, he was of course proverbially saying because he's obviously you, you know none of us can predict the future, but. 
like in the Thomas Friedman world, you kind of know generally what's going to happen. You know, there's a big accident waiting to happen. The ETF market's been hyped up like the housing market was, and the MBS is where like pre-housing crisis. Well, ETFs are allowed to play a little bit of three-card monte. Mm -hmm. How does that happen? It's it's the dole food situation all over again. It's unsettled trades because it takes. T plus two days after trading to settle a trade. There's tremendous securities lending happening. This is how, you know, a lot of these funds are now zero fee. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, the asset manager has expenses. How, how are they charging zero fees? Because they're securities lending your securities, uh-huh. right? So there's a lot of rehypothecation that's happening in those ETFs. Nobody really knows how leveraged they are. Um, there, there, there are lots of ways they can play games. In the derivatives world, a lot of ETFs are, 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 um, are invested in futures. In the derivatives world, there's something called collateral substitution, mm-hmm. where you don't actually have to post collateral for the actual asset. So let's say in a physical Bitcoin futures contract, collateral substitution allows you to post cash or U.S. treasuries instead of the actual Bitcoin. That's a way, another way, that hidden leverage can can insidiously creep into the system without everybody without anybody really realizing it and it's just the way that wall street works they allow all this clearing and netting of exposures and substitution of collateral and, and when you've got an asset that is finite like bitcoin um those two things don't mix it's gonna uh it's gonna it's gonna make you humble real quick yeah uh, well i don't know how quick that's an interesting question yeah well because I think it go it's well, just like how, what we're talking about with the but financial with how, system. With how vol- volatile the price has been, yeah. especially up to this point, like it could, it could go on. But it, 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 you know, they are going to require one day collateral posting. So that means that really what you have is is the gap risk intraday, okay. and that's pretty big, right? Look Which, what happened to OKEX early yeah. in August. Well, we see that with GBTC too. The, of the course, gap, the, the gap, gap risk, yeah. Uh, but that that uh, GBTC was gapping pretty hard before uh, competitive products that were more accessible right. came out. And that, so G, GBTC, uh, the Grayscale Bitcoin yes. Investment Trust, was trading at a huge premium yes, to the price of Bitcoin does. for a while. Yeah. But it, it should be converging back to the price, correct? Because there's well, more accessible. I haven't looked at it in a while. But yeah, yeah a lot of those trusts, that, that's the most responsible way to, to, to do a Bitcoin-backed financial product. Okay. Is, and that one's pretty close to one-to-one. Um, as far as I know, but again, in a lot of these, you yeah. don't have audit rights and GBTC GB- on the forking issue is the best of the ones I've seen. Let's jump into it. Forking issue just, and before we jump into it, GBTC is trading at 6,700 right now and Bitcoin's at 6,500. So yeah. the margins, so it's actually come back down yeah, a little it's come bit. Back down a little bit. Yeah. It's a little tighter. Um, but forking, this is very forking. interesting. This is, yeah. uh, something that exists in blockchains that traditional financial, uh, the traditional financial system doesn't exist. It is a whole new animal. Absolutely. And yeah. it is Terry. Well, and Larry Tab and I were back and forth on this because he was saying, well, isn't it just a... Larry Tab's a very respected uh, financial services guy from Tab Financial. He was saying, well, isn't it just like a rights offering or a stock dividend? In concept, yes, but in reality, no. Because, of course, as you know, you actually have to do a tech integration mm-hmm. um, and you're exposing your private keys uh, and, uh, and, and you may not accept all the, all the forks and airdrops if you don't think that the, that the fork coins are stable. That, or if you just don't want to give up your privacy. That true. That's too. But yeah. as you're thinking about wall street, they're, they're run by fiduciaries, right? So they've got asset managers who have to make the decision. Um, but what I discovered in digging into this, I looked at the Vanek filings. I looked at, um, BACT hasn't come out with anything yet, but, um, I looked at GBTC, GBTC. And I even looked at the cash-based futures, the CBOE and CMOE, mm-hmm. CME. 
um, none of them have made a firm promise to actually pay the forked coins. Okay, so now you get into this unjust enrichment issue yeah. where, you know, think back, Coinbase sat on its Bcash for six months. And it's Ethereum Classic. Yeah. For longer. For longer, right. And yeah. so what were they doing with those coins? We don't have any idea whether they actually Had revealed them. their private keys and, and claimed them mm -hmm. and brought them into their own balance sheet and income statement, right? We have no clue. Um, and that, as a regulator, you could tell that, that, that that's going to be an issue, right? And it's yeah. also going to be a, a fiduciary issue. I'm an attorney by background. I, I, I'm dormant. I'm a member of the bar. Part of me in the back of my mind is thinking, God, I'm going to have fun being an attorney going after some of these fiduciaries mm -hmm. for the accidents that I think are going to happen over the next 10 years in some of these financial products. Because if they've made no promise whatsoever to deliver the forked coins, um, you know, and, they're, and, they're, and they sit on those forked coins, I'm going to figure out in discovery whether they actually claimed those coins on the first day and just happened to, you know, sit on the, sit on the float for a while right. before giving them out. Um, and, and if, and, you know, but there are real fiduciary reasons why you wouldn't want to claim those coins too, right? But the point is, what are you really buying when you buy a Wall Street product that says our risk committee is going to determine the right course of action? <laughs> they're making you no promises. GBTC is the best that actually says, they're, they're a little more specific. They, I think they refer back to Gemini, that mm -hmm. they, they're going to follow the Gemini policy. And, yeah, because they're, um, they're indexing off. They're them. indexing off Gemini, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but none of the others make any promises whatsoever. Um, and when I looked at the Van Eck filing, they make no promises whatsoever about custody, whether they're going to be lending their coins or not. It just it just doesn't say anything. It just says the trust you don't is going have to, to custody. Disclose that? You have to disclose everything material, absolutely, mm -hmm. and it's not disclosed. So yeah. and that's one thing I learned working at the futures market uh, for futures fund, like the due diligence. So I was a portfolio analyst, and we were a fund of funds, so we had to do due diligence on. My job is to do due diligence on funds and sure. the amount of due diligence, the boxes you have to check, the abundance of caution you have to write into your prospectus and everything that goes on with your fund is ridiculous. And I just haven't seen it in the cryptocurrency space in general. Yeah. I don't I don't think a lot of the cryptocurrency focused funds are, are following those processes no. at all. Well, and, and, and we don't have legal agreements with the exchanges that we do business with, right? Yeah. None of us asked, none of them asked us to sign a legal agreement when we signed up. No. So I mean, the OKEX situation is interesting because that was a $400 million loss on a futures contract mm -hmm. and they did a bail-in. Oh, I yeah. have no idea yeah, right. if, and what, and what that meant was Somebody defaulted on the $400 million loss and they basically said everybody who was on the other side of the future con futures contract ended up having to give up $400 million worth of their gains in order to keep the exchange solvent. Um, and that's what a bail-in was. So basically a lot of people thought they had gains and in the end had a lot smaller less, gains or, yeah. or maybe even losses in order to keep the exchange alive, right? I'll, I doubt they had legal agreements. I don't know for sure. It's Hong Kong, and I, I, I just don't know their situation. Mm -hmm. um, but think about if that had if that happened at a Bittrex or a Kraken or somewhere, you know, one of the U.S. exchanges, Gemini, et cetera. Well, that's, uh, we just talked about that on this uh, week's edition of Rabbit Hole Recap, my weekly news show. Mm -hmm. uh, Bittrex just filed in Malta. They're trying to domicile oh, Malta, which is interesting to see. Like, uh, huh? Well, the shapeshift announcement last week, I think, reading the tea leaves, tea leaves, the people. Well, it, look, the regulators are coming, right? Yeah. And it's and and I, I think the exchanges. I don't know anything definitive, so don't read anything into this other than just me putting the tea leaves together of mm -hmm. what's happening. Shapeshift made a difficult decision and was very criticized for it to go ahead and become 
It uh, seems like uh, Eric Voorhees didn't really have a decision to make. It was either well, do this or... But go maybe to that's why Bittrex is... I yeah, didn't know makes they, a were, lot of they were looking to makes go to Malta. Yeah, but, this, is, yeah. this is news earlier this week. It just came out. I missed so, that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so it's interesting. Uh, well, and it, it, the, the most interesting one is going to be Jesse Powell because he, he doesn't do business in New York at Kraken. And he was so critical at, uh, at consensus in, mm-hmm. in, was it April or May, the big conference. And then later, the, somebody asked him about um, New York and he had gotten a subpoena from New York and he, ref- he very publicly and openly refused oh, to comply because th- he said, you can't touch me. I don't do business in New York. Yeah. You don't have extraterritorial jurisdiction. I owe you no response whatsoever. And he was very public about it. So we'll see, you know, what happens to some of the exchanges that happen to be doing business onshore in the U.S. Are they going to be forced into compliance, um, or are they are they going to just go offshore? It's a tough decision for the I mean, for the executives of those firms. That and then I mean the regulatory arbitrage is is the the uh, valley of arbitrage in the yeah. regulatory structure right now is huge. Yeah. It's vast. It's an open canvas and. It's going to see who, like, at the geopolitical level, like, who flinches first. And, like, we're, we got a mini example with what's happening. I mean, Wyoming's not really blockchain-specific. It's more banking-specific. But here in New York State, with the bit license in particular, yeah, sort of seeing how that's curbing uh, Oh, it totally innovation. curbed the industry. Well, Wyoming yeah. basically took all the regulations off. So mm-hmm. we passed five bills, one of which essentially said all, all op- virtual currencies are exempt from money transmission and securities laws. And then we... Um, uh, created a new class of property called open blockchain tokens that mm-hmm. are, so this is utility tokens essentially that are exempt from securities laws if you meet spe- specified standards, which essentially is it has to be exchangeable for a good or service or content and it cannot be um, marketed as an investment. There are a couple of mm-hmm. others as well, so don't take that summary as legal advice. Go, go read the fine print. Um, and then we exempted all crypto from property taxes there is no income tax in Wyoming anyway, so we basically said there's just not going to be tax on any of this in Wyoming, because um, I might move to Wyoming. I know that's why a lot of people, can, and that's why we did Wyo Hackathon as well. And then we we copied the Delaware corporate registrations bill, so you can keep books and records. And okay. we're hoping to integrate with the Secretary of State. There were two hackathon entrants that proposed integration with the Secretary of State, so that you could create. Um, a virtual entity that will never exist in paper form. It will always exist on a blockchain, including a DAO. There was a, the, the, the one that won the consensus prize was an Ethereum-based LLC registration platform for DAOs. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. If you're interested, go to wyohackathon.io and you can see, because everything's open source and you can see their video. So and they- then the fifth one we did was series LLCs. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. Like the innovation, this is opening. Right, and mm. now we're talking about doing the special purpose bank. Yeah, that's 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 going to be coming up in the next legislative session. But so, we got those five previous bills passed. That's why Wyoming is becoming a blockchain haven. It's inside the U.S., so you still have to comply with federal law if federal law trumps you. But mm-hmm. what we've set up is for utility tokens. If you are not a security, I, you're not marketing it as an investment, and it is truly something that is that, that fails the Howey test then you're considered property under Wyoming law okay. and property is the purview of the states. Mm-hmm. Securities law is pretty clearly federal law, but property law is pretty clearly not. 
And so Wyoming gets to define whatever property is, and they're, they're, they define digital property. So it looks like you guys are going the opposite direction in New York, which is We are, 100% the opposite. Yeah, yeah, Wyoming, that's why we did Wyo Hackathon. That's why Joe Lubin and Patrick Byrne and Eric Voorhees and Jeff Garzik all mm-hmm. participated in Wyo Hackathon. It, it, a lot of people were like, wait a minute, there's a small town hackathon with these big name <laughs> sponsors and big name speakers. And you know what? It helped a lot of people come out. And guess what? A lot of people are staying. Wyoming put an amazing foot forward. The winner of the Best for Wyoming prize, which incidentally was judged by all three gubernatorial candidates, the Republican, Democrat, and Libertarian. Awesome. They all worked together to judge that prize. I'm so proud of that because that indicates we're going to have continuity in, in the blockchain support under the new governor who will be elected in November. But um, we, we had, um, there are four companies that are gonna go, going to get free office space in Wyoming. Mm-hmm. There were 27 entrants, and we're just going down the list, and we're going to fill that. And I hope keep those companies in Wyoming. Um, there, there's a company called Active Ether that's moving out of New York to Jackson. Oh, really? They're relocating their headquarters to Wyoming for this exact reason. Um, Node Haven is already in Wyoming. You're going to see a number of, of announcements about companies redomiciling out of Delaware into Wyoming, even though they're not moving to Wyoming. Mm-hmm. They, they want to avail themselves of the Wyoming fr- crypto-friendly laws, and there's really no reason to stay in Delaware anymore. So a lot of companies, the lawyers will just say, domicile in Delaware, but if you're in crypto, Wyoming is going to become the default option pretty quickly. Wyoming is much more scenic than Delaware, I would imagine. Yeah. Well, Delaware's got the Delaware Chancery Court. So mm-hmm. again, attorneys that are listening to this will be like, wait a minute, Wyoming doesn't have a Chancery Court. And that's true. Yeah. Um, but the Delaware Chancery Court really matters for like S&P 500 <laughs> companies. It doesn't really matter for startups. Yeah. So let's jump into utility tokens. Do you yeah. see a future where they're viable? Like there's, so that's Absolutely. a big debate. Like I would, I just, so you know, I'm considered a Bitcoin maximalist and, uh, I just think, um, Util- I get the idea of utility tokens. I don't know if we need a token for everything, though. Oh, I completely agree with you there. Yeah. But So I consider myself a Bitcoin maximalist, too. Mm-hmm. But I think it's going to take 20 years. I think yeah. Bitcoin's ultimately going to be the, the one that nudges mm-hmm. everything else out. But I do, I do think securities are going to be tokenized. Mm-hmm. And so big it's not indicant- it's, that's not mutually exclusive. Okay. Um, in other words, I don't think everything's going to be Bitcoin. I think you're going to actually have tokenized securities. Mm-hmm. And the way I look at utility tokens, it's, an, it's the next generation crowdfunding. Okay. And there's a lot about it from a corporate finance perspective that makes a lot of sense because the bezel in the financial industry that you uh, expose yourself to when you issue traditional securities is huge. Mm-hmm. And what I mean is by that is not just the inaccurate accounting, it's also just the expense of all those layers of intermediaries and all the delay in settling transactions. If you can settle transactions instantly, you have a lot less expense and you have no counterparty risk. Mm-hmm. So investors, I think, are rightfully giving up some of the investor protections that they demand in the existing system, which try to protect them from all that bezel, bezel right? Yeah. Um, and in the crypto system of, of quote unquote securities or capital raising more broadly, you don't have exposure to that bezel. You get your money instantly mm-hmm. and you don't have counterparty risk. You're, if your broker defaults, who cares? Exactly. No, but that's, it's what I'm most interested to see is how this plays out. Cause I can sure. definitely see this future. It's just like, is it, is it going to be built on layers on top of Bitcoin? Is it going to be multiple blockchains with specific functions and, that's what uh, I think that's what the big debate is right now. In this oh, space. yeah. Well, and I'm neutral on that. So mm-hmm. I, when I say Bitcoin max, maximalism, I think that's going to be money. 
Exactly. But I don't think that that's necessarily going to be securities. It okay. could be. Um, but, but, but money is the best use case mm. for crypto. No question. And I do believe Bitcoin's got that one. Um, is it Ethereum or EOS or something that hasn't even been invented yet, yet? That's, yeah. that's, that's going to tokenize capital that we don't know yet. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be fascinating to see how it plays oh, out. Yeah. Cause there's so many, that's the other thing is driving creativity. Like people just to no think question. about, like we were talking yeah. about in, in different areas in computer science and hardware and energy yeah. efficiency. Yeah. I think it's the best incentive system ever we've ever seen on earth. Oh, for argue. sure. And I would, I would encourage your listeners to go to wiohackathon.io. We've posted because it's all open source, mm-hmm. the, the descriptions, the GitHubs of 27 different projects. We had the corporate registration ones. We had tokenizing cows to help ranchers <laughs> finance the, the cattle so they don't have to borrow from the bank every year. We, have, um, we had water rights. These were very Wyoming-themed projects in a lot of cases. The winner was token subscription, which um, isn't Wyoming-themed, but it basically created a, a, an automated platform for purchasing tokens without having to go through and do it every, every day. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, there were some awesome. Oh, there was a great one on um, Billboard Music that wasn't Wyoming connected. That, they won the Singular DTV Prize. There were just some awesome projects. And that, how long was that? Like three days? Three four? days. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, and I got to say, one the, the thing that I'm proudest about is there were two high school teams. One of which came from the central part of the state, just outside of the Native American reservation. Mm-hmm. And I don't know the ethnicity of the kids, but a, t- a teacher brought down three kids. And the, each of those two high school teams won a prize from the Descent Foundation. And, the, you know, those kids could not have been happier. They pumped. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the sad thing is neither one of them was there because they had to leave to go back. Uh, Shoshone is in the center of the state. Laramie's in the southeast. So it's probably a four-hour drive. Mm-hmm. And they had homework that they had to do. So, you know, they, they left in home. the morning. And even the local kids didn't stick around for the award ceremony because they didn't think they'd win anything. But what happened is the Descent Foundation was so amazed at the skill set of the kids the high school kids that they they awarded to both sets of high school kids the laramie kids actually built on the descent platform and they looked at that and said that's evidence of how easy it is to build because you had beginners who'd never done anything on blockchain before actually building on the descent platform so it was amazing advertisement for them and just a great human interest story and a lot of these kids were not exactly from significant well, economic means yeah. and the the engineer got emotional when he said look i didn't come from a advantaged background i know what we just did for them is going to change their lives that's crazy very cool it's crazy how uh software and computer science is lowering the barrier to entry to create incredible things that's and, what I, I just wrote in an op-ed i mean yeah. software doesn't care about demographics software mm-hmm. doesn't care about location joe lubin made the point in wyoming there's no reason why the next google can't be can't come out of Wyoming. Mm-hmm. And, oh. and the guys who are no going to be mentoring these high school kids were from Slovakia and Switzerland. <laughs> and they came to Laramie, Wyoming. They said they traveled a um, collective 60,000 miles to come to that hackathon. Yeah, that's the point I was going to say. There's no reason uh, the next Google has to be founded anywhere. It could be a completely autonomous distributed team. Absolutely. Like, that's and crazy. Go look at the etherize.it submission, which won the consensus challenge. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's, it's basically a way to register, to use Wyoming LLCs to register DAOs. It's awesome. Hell and yeah. Joe Lubin himself 
judged it. So mm -hmm. I saw Joe passing out multiple business cards at that <laughs> at that hackathon. So I'm, you know, fingers crossed and egging on all the all the teams. Go start your business. That's good to know. And hopefully keep him in Wyoming to some extent. Yeah, it's good to know he's not worried about price right now. It's definitely. Uh, oh, he's so clearly not yeah. focused on that. I got to interview him on the stage. He, mm -hmm. It's the least interesting thing about it. He's focused on the engineering. Okay. He's focused on continuing to start new businesses, mm -hmm. looking for good ideas to invest in. Yeah. And that's what all of us should be focused on. I think price is the least interesting part of this industry. We need to be focusing on the engineering. And I, I, frankly, I'm kind of glad that the attention's off, off us right now. Yeah. That's the thing, uh, especially during these bear markets. Uh, the, the stress on the blockchains, because they're not as popular, so there's obviously not as much activity on them. Yes. So there's enough downtime to to try to figure out how to scale these things, which, yes. is, which is the hardest problem. Yeah, that we have in to Bitcoin, solve. we're working on Lightning Network, and yeah. boy, does that look promising. It's crazy what's coming out. Like, so you were talking yeah. about earlier how um, marijuana industry, specifically dispensaries, cannot connect to the traditional banking system. And right. with Lightning Network, Jack Mahler's out of Chicago, and what he's building with Zap, their uh, their first. Uh, sort of user that they have in mind is these dispensaries where they're going to allow them to accept uh, Lightning Network payments or Bitcoin payments in general from a POS system they're building from scratch. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. no. Um, um, on on a, on one one of the people out at um, Wyo Hackathon asked Patrick Burnham from Overstock, who's a who's been very publicly outspoken in support of decriminalizing marijuana, um, about a blockchain platform that is tracing the origin of marijuana mm -hmm. to verify it because it's frankly a lot of you know a lot of what you get you don't know where it came from and it could be impure etc um and so he said call collect to the companies working on that he wants to finance that so yeah. um you can actually finance it from both sides it'll be interesting to see how uh, a legitimate marijuana industry pops up because right now it's like oh i mean I pick up my pot from a buddy who's got a cousin in Northern California <laughs> shipping it to him and like that. Well, and that's it's like, ergo, you don't know about the purity of exactly. it, right? But the market has sort of figured, yeah. I mean, weed as a it black has. market has, has worked functionally well and there's not many weed overdeaths or poisonings and yeah. it'll be interesting well, to see how that. We're just walking, we're sitting in Brooklyn right now, walking around New York City. And it's so <laughs> Everybody's clear that it's de facto pen. decriminalized because you smell it every time oh, you walk out. It is a... Uh, yeah. You only get a ticket if you if you get caught with uh, smoke. You have to be smoking it as well. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, the feds need to need need to decriminalize it, but it's just it's it's time. Yeah, right. And 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 it's not even necessarily because people want to use it. It's just why are we throwing people in jail for this? Exactly. Like, it, it it makes no sense. I one of the things I hope that Trump does before he leaves is mass pardon of nonviolent drug offenders. Wait, he that did would it, really help. He did it with uh, who was that? What was that woman's name? That Kim Kardashian helped him pardon. Yes. Yeah. That was right. A, what a terribly a, sad story. Yeah, it's that, all not and like yeah. victimless drug right. crimes. But but how many thousands or if not tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people are, are in jail for similar things right now? And, <laughs> and and it just makes no economic sense. Exactly. Think of the wasted yeah. human the, capital. Like, it's a waste of human capital and taxpayers are paying for this. Yes. You don't even have to make a judgment call about drugs mm -hmm. to say that it doesn't make sense and, and look and look at the racial disparities too it's just yeah. clearly it's just wrong and 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 um I, i've liked the pardons generally that trump has done so far i very much hope that 
a lot more are coming and you know there are a lot of people signing petitions to try to get him to do it it just for so many reasons it makes sense but uh, you know the attorney general right now is 100 percent opposed to it and not going to decriminalize <laughs> drugs and, jeff sessions and, and not a weed fan but no. it's so ingrained in our culture right like it's it's look i know. mean most most states it's either already decriminalized or de facto de decriminalized mm -hmm. and in, in most states they're looking at it as a tax benefit. That's why I made the distinction between decriminalization and legalization. Mm -hmm. When they say legalization, they mean we get to tax it. Yeah. Um, I, I, I am not for that. I'd rather just decriminalize it and, you know, stop having the government harass people for victimless crimes. Yeah. It'd be like a, a nuisance ticket at that point. Yeah. Which, and then we can or not even a nuisance ticket. Why would we even bother with that? Exactly. Well, that would yeah. be the first step. And then you go, all right, yeah. this actually isn't a nuisance. So get away from me. Right. But, uh, yeah. Maybe well, but you know, look, the, the blockchain industry can can really help some of those industries. But right now, to be clear, at least in Wyoming, that's not on the table because the special purpose bank that we're working on, it wouldn't be industry specific, mm -hmm. but it would be it would be if it passes able to transact in crypto and fiat. Um, it would not be FDIC insured because the FDIC does not want any FDIC insured bank touching crypto. Mm -hmm. So. Therefore, our way around that is, well, let's just not have it be FDIC insured and let's have it be high dollar value business deposits. And the cool thing about it that got a lot of applause when I talked about this at Wyo Hackathon, it's going to be a mutual. Okay. In other words, it's not a for-profit corporation. And so it's very consistent with the ethos of yeah. this industry of open source mm -hmm. and shared. It will still have to do Bank Secrecy Act. So all those, all that know your customer and anti-money laundering, if it passes, is still going to apply. Mm -hmm. um, but at least it, 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 I hope will solve the problem that we know is out there, which is that a lot of companies in this industry have trouble not just getting, but keeping their bank accounts open. Yeah. Now it's, uh, it's, a. Uh... It's a weird situation we find ourselves in where we're trying to create a new financial system while working. It's like we're working within the traditional we're financial system. It's it. like, hey, hey. Well, yeah, because, you know, this. most companies still have to pay their vendors in dollars. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Including their employees in dollars. So it's pay your taxes in dollars. So Definitely have to pay that. your taxes in dollars. Um, yeah. And yeah. it's, uh, it's interesting to see how it's going to play out. Uh, yeah. It's interesting. Back in, I had an exchange back and forth with, with Nick Zabo speaking of taxes. Some states are... Um, in the process of or have already passed bills allowing you to pay your state taxes in in crypto mm -hmm. arizona right arizona I, mm -hmm. I don't know if they passed it i think they didn't pass it but they Might were have been raised. they did they did propose it it was proposed in a couple of other states as well i just don't know what the status is but so he he said i asked him you know what would you do if you had a blank slate in a state um, and he said that, and I said, well, Wyoming has no taxes already, so it's, <laughs> we don't have to, uh, we don't have to, we don't have to go there. But it, he, the, his point was that if you start allowing people to pay taxes, you take away that, that last straw, which is that you're forced to pay taxes in the fiat currency. Yeah, you're forced and to it's, it's a, that point is well taken. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, that would be incredible. And maybe that's the, the first domino that falls that really pushes. Uh, and maybe if the financial crises, potential future financial crises we were speaking about earlier comes to fruition, maybe some states like ha hold their hands yeah. up like, all right, we want to accept Bitcoin, send it to us, we need money. Well, of course. Like that. Well, and, and four states, I believe, now have passed gold as legal tender laws. Really? And the reason that they can do that is because, well, it's gold and silver, so it's specie. They're, they are recognized in the Constitution. 
So I proposed, well, why don't we have crypto recognized as legal tender in Wyoming? So that, that is actually on our agenda. Let's go. Um, and it doesn't look like that's going to be constitutional. So we may have to drop that one. But um, yeah, but, but you know, we're trying. There was a funny theory. Uh, I don't know. I forget if it was Twitter or Telegram today. But uh, if Trump is running for 2020 uh, president <laughs> and... Uh, Bitcoin's mooning at that point, so it's right around the next halving is when like, oh, the right. election of course. will be going on. Oh, right, of course. Yeah, that's on. a good point. I hadn't thought about like, that. Like, think yeah. about the Bitcoin price skyrocketing to new yeah. all-time highs. Yeah. He's about to go in the office. He's like, you guys love this. You love this Bitcoin. Yeah. We're going we're gonna to start accepting it for taxes, all right, or something like that. Like, it, and he, look, I could see him cool. playing off, like, that meme. The he's problem very, is, if you look at who his financial advisors are, they're, they're core Wall Street people, right? Mm -hmm. It was Gary yeah, Cohn Gary previously, Cohn, yeah. and now Larry Kudlow, and um, Steve Mnuchin is Treasury Secretary. I think they understand that they can't push it too far. Yeah. But Trump's populist instincts... Yeah, he doesn't he, care. It, yeah, he They'll should give him care. advice, but he'll just be like, oh, I hope I'm going to tweet so. this out right now. I don't know if anybody's been able to get into his ear um, about this yet. You know? Hey, Donald, if you're listening. Yeah. Mr. President, excuse me. Right, right. Yeah. I'd love to discuss it with you. Right. Yeah, no, certainly. I, I mean, he should. He should. I, I, I'm all about free competition and money. And mm -hmm. um, I'm not about forcing people to use gold. I'm not about forcing people to use Bitcoin. I'm not about forcing people to use anything. Free competition and money. Let's 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 see which one wins in the in the in the free market. I'm pretty sure I know over time which one will. I do, too. And. Our time is precious here. You gotta get going to Peter Luger's oh, in true wow. Bitcoin, pay, yeah. in true Bitcoin carnivore fashion. Oh, I'm a, oh, you betcha. <laughs> proof of steak. I'm a, I'm a big steak eater. I grew up in, grew up on steak in Wyoming. And when you invited me to come here, and I realized how close it was to Peter Luger, so, yep, I'm gonna go get myself some beef. Before you get that beef, uh, there's something going on next week in Wyoming. What do you? Yep. The, we um, have a, a blockchain task force meeting where mm -hmm. we're, we're going to be talking about this special purpose bank bill. And I would love for your listeners to write me a letter, um, contact me on caitlin-long.com or message me on Twitter or LinkedIn and send me a letter if you have ever had a problem getting or obtaining a bank account. Mm -hmm. We want legitimate crypto businesses, crypto funds, crypto you know, software companies, Anybody who's had a problem getting or keeping a bank account, please shoot me a quick letter, address it to the Wyoming Blockchain Task Force, sign it and shoot me a PDF. I want to be armed with what we know is going to be opposition from the banking industry to prove that this is a problem in the industry. We all know it is, but the local bankers don't necessarily know it. And I want to be able to, to just come in with a stack of letters. So by next Friday, the 21st of September, please shoot me that letter, uh, do, do your part to try to help favorable regulation. We, you don't need to send us any money. You don't need to do anything other than just shoot us a letter. Share your tail. Share your tail, put your name to it and your company's name to it and, and I'll get it in the record in the testimony in Wyoming. If, if you think you might wanna have a bank account that, that no bank can withdraw mm -hmm. for these crazy compliance reasons, then it's worth it to you to take the time to write write us this letter. All right. I'll probably post this on Sunday just so there's more time for that to happen. Or, also, or even just send it out on your on your social media. You've got a big following. Yeah. yeah. I called a number of people. I've already gotten a few. Mm -hmm. But the more the merrier. Um, I want to be able to kind of go in with a stack. It doesn't have to be 100. I know there's hundreds who have had this problem. But even if I just get a couple dozen, that's, you know, that's all we need to basically prove. So they're not just taking my word for it.
Well, yeah. Thank you for standing on the front lines. It's and, my pleasure. And uh, fighting this cause. Look, I think that we all, I'm not a technologist by background. I, I so admire the ones who are. You guys are on the front lines. I'm, I'm somebody who's using my talents to try to pave the way for you. And it's without multi, you. It's multifaceted. Uh, Everybody oh, it has can do to be. their part. It has to be. And there's so much that we, each of us can do. One last thought is each of us who understands this should pick one charity and go work with that charity and teach them how to accept crypto. Mm -hmm. exactly. Think about what would happen to demand for crypto if every charity out there accepted crypto. I got one in mind in particular. Already. Awesome. That do that as a as a service project to the industry. I've been spending the basically the last nine months, almost a year now, coming up on service projects for the industry. I'm not earning any income. This is all volunteer. <laughs> what I'm doing in Wyoming between both the legislation and the hackathon. Uh, it just happens to be something that I can do to give back to two causes I love, blockchain and Wyoming. Yeah. But um, each of us has a way to contribute, mm -hmm. and please do, because we've got to advance this industry. Well, I didn't even have to ask for your final thought because that was so perfect. Awesome. Um, no, I really Thank appreciate you. Again, I appreciate you. Thank you. This Mate, was fun. What you're Good doing questions. in Wyoming might set precedence for the rest of the country. Hope so. So thank you for doing that. appreciate you coming through. Thank you. You have to go enjoy this has been steak. fun. Yeah. Peace and love, freaks. Take Ooh. care, everyone.